Turn that heat down. Good morning, everybody. Sorry, my guitar just made a funky sound. I need to check it out. Make sure I didn't break a string. I'm good. Something else must have fell off. Oh, I know what it was. So my capo fell off to the bottom of the bag. Sorry about that. Uh, I am rushing, trying to get out of here on time. It looks like I'm just gonna make it. Uh, yeah. How's everybody doing? This is uh, Mike, and you're listening to Driving Theology. Sorry about the long intro. I'm kind of rushing out of here, trying not to forget anything. Uh, when I go out on Wednesdays, which is today, I always have a handful of stuff, and today happens to be the first class of February, so I need a new book. Otherwise, my book stays in my car, but I change books once a month for the kids. Actually, repeat the same book four classes, four weeks in a row. They only have it one once a week, right? So, four weeks in a row, they repeat the same book. They learn some of the English. Uh, they anticipate what's going to happen. Uh, they interact with the book, and it's just a for me. It's a it's a way to stay sane and not have to have a you know basically thirty five different books all year long. Uh, and when you repeat intentionally, you only have to have one per month. So, which probably works out because we take a couple months off here and there. Well, not that many months, actually. Only August really is off. So, about 11 books a year. And I try not to recycle them, although it, it does happen time to time with the more popular books. Uh, yeah, so I had to get a new book this morning, and my wife happened to make me some soup to eat for lunch, which is nice too. I had to not forget that. and Didn't have time to get everything in my bag, so I'm carrying my iPad under my arm. I've got my water bottle stuck in my pocket. I'm trying to handle my keys and uh, couldn't find my wallet this morning because I left it in the car, so I found it in the car when I got here and I'm dropping stuff, trying to get it in the trying to get everything in the in the car uh, so I could leave on time, but I think I made it. I don't think I forgot anything. We shall see. Got my phone in my pocket. Uh, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm all right. Anyway, how are you guys doing? How is how has uh, February been treating you? February this year has an extra day, which uh, makes my daughter's birthday on March first uh, one day later than usual. Well, every four years is. Somewhat usual, semi-usual. Uh, yeah, well, it got cold here again. So we had a couple weeks of, of or sorry, a couple weeks, like a week of spring weather uh, to the point where I was going out in short sleeves uh, thinking, you know, spring was coming soon. And then, bam, the uh, cold came back and uh, hit us back. So today still pretty cold. We've had two really blustery days. Really blustery days. Things are blowing off the porch. And, you know, things like that. But, uh, yeah, and then on top of that we're in allergy season. So this is the pollen allergy season for uh, 
cedar trees, which is a big deal. I think more than half the people that live in Japan are, are allergic to this pollen, and these trees are everywhere. Um, I've probably gone over this before. Um, it's a bit of a... It's, it's, the, it's the one... It's probably the biggest problem I have with Japan are these cedar trees. <laughs> and it's really nobody's fault. I mean, they, so after the war, pretty much all the wood was consumed on the, on the, uh, on, in Japan, right? All the, all the wood that was usable was, was used and expended in the war effort. And so there just weren't many trees left. And so, uh, after the Americans occupied Japan for a time with MacArthur at the helm, they suggested, or or maybe Japanese found, I don't know who suggested, but anyway, uh, these cedar trees, which are not indigenous to, to Japan, were planted all over the place. And uh, they were planted because they make good lumber. They grow fast and straight, uh, and they make good lumber. And so they were planted everywhere. And Japan's a very fertile country, and so they took well, and they grew well, and and, uh, but the problem is they introduced this pollen that was not indigenous to, to the Japanese people. So uh, this pollen has been uh, just torturing people for about a month uh, every late spring, or sorry, early, early spring, late winter every year. And for whatever reason, I'm allergic to it too. I don't know if it's an American species or European species. I don't, I'm not even sure, but they're everywhere and they turn red brown this time of year. Um, the, uh, sometimes if the wind is right and the, and the release is right, you can see it coming off in waves off the trees. It's that, um, that thick. You can actually see it in the air. Uh, it looks like kind of brown brown to light brown smoke um, so yeah that's as I'm talking about that I can see the red trees all around me now my wife instructs me that there is a movement to eradicate these trees so she says um, and uh, replace them with uh, trees with that have less offensive Holland, you know, we'll see about that, but um, anyway, that's this season, so I'm on Allegra, um, and some kind of a nose spray, probably should stop thinking about it, I'm going to make myself have a reaction, but I did have a reaction on Monday, pretty bad one, so first, first, first reaction of the year, I think it takes a little while for it to build up in my system. So anyway, that's the season we're in. We uh, got past and through Valentine's Day, which I actually did a podcast on Valentine's Day that did not uh, record. <laughs> I think I already talked about that last week. So what's talk about this week? Man, I don't even know. Um, we've got uh, a uh, Russian um, 
call it, uh, what is that word? People who work in the media, news, newspapers, TV news, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, anyway, uh, a reporter, Russian reporter who, uh, journalist, TV journalist, uh, who was, who reported on Russia a couple of years ago, uh, and, uh, I guess, um, challenged the government a little too much and he was put in prison. Well, apparently he was just killed in prison. Something that just happened. So because he was, he criticized Putin's government, probably on the uh, war in Ukraine, um, he has been, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm sure the indication is that not only was he in prison, but he was murdered in prison by Putin and his regime. I'm sure that's the indication. Now, whether that actually happened or not, I don't know. But apparently he's been killed in prison. Uh, which is something that was on the news this morning. And it got me to thinking, you know, I, I've i been listening to um, a biography of Martin Luther King on, on audiobook for quite a while. And of course... King was a, after a while, not, not in the beginning, but after a while, he became a disciple uh, of uh, Gandhi, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, who was a proponent of nonviolent resistance, uh, uh, nonviolently resisting oppressive regimes, right? And so Martin Luther King, in his... Uh, in his uh, fight for equality of African Americans in America, uh, he adapted Gandhi's philosophy of nonviolent resistance. Now, Gandhi knew that this was actually Jesus's way of resisting. <laughs> Gandhi, Gandhi could see that 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 it was Christian what he was doing, even though I don't think Gandhi ever became a quote-unquote Christian, although I, I think in many ways he was more Christian than most Christians I know. Um, but Gandhi knew what he was doing was, was Christian. Uh, that Jesus was a proponent of nonviolent resistance. Uh, but anyway, be that as it may, Martin Luther King found his way to a a path of nonviolence uh, after going to India and 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 uh, uh, meeting. Well, I think maybe before he, he read about Gandhi and knew Gandhi's way. But he he did end up taking a pilgrimage uh, through many places, including the Holy Land, but also to India. And eventually, he he came upon his his um, philosophy of nonviolent resistance. Uh, at least partially through his uh, knowledge of the ways of Gandhi. I was thinking this morning, after hearing this news, um, personally, I, I believe that Christians should steer clear of politics. And there is one caveat, I will say, in a minute, 
but the reason I think people should steer clear of politics is that is because politics and namely the the power of governments is strength and force a government is able to stay in power through strength and force and you know this because when a government is overthrown it's always through strength and force right somebody finally gets enough strength uh, and forces their way into the government uh, through violent altercations and takes over the government, right? That's how, that's how it happens. Um, that's how Americans uh, rebelled against uh, England, against, against the, uh, the English king, who was the, the king of the Americas at the time, well, North America at least, of more, much of North America, the American part anyway, later you know, also Spain and France. Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, so governments are overthrown through power and force, which which indicates to me that they keep their their power through force. Right? They keep their they they keep themselves in power because they have the strength to do so. And so violence is necessarily caught up it's necessarily a part of politics now there are other other places you can see it not only do they do governments control the armies of a country but also the police force and a police force's uh, um, authority is often uh, demonstrated through violence right that's why they carry guns and batons. That's why they wear body armor. That, you know, their their authority is demonstrated by force quite often, or at least the show of force, the threat of force. Um, Yeah, so if if Jesus believed, as I think he did, that the best way to live in the world is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you, to go the extra mile, to give your extra cloak, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, um, if these are all things that he did, that he was trying to change the world not through violence, not through strength or force, but through love, then that part of politics at least is anti-Christ. And if that is a necessary part of politics, if that is essentially where politics gets its power, then the essence of politics is anti-Christ. Now I said I had a caveat. The caveat is there is a kind of politics uh, and that's politics of the kingdom of God that I think is a necessary part of being Christian. I think the pursuit of the kingdom of, of heaven as it's called and the kingdom of God is 
is, you could say, somewhat political, although it works in a completely different way than the politics of the world. Um, and time and time, time and time again, the Bible alludes to the fact that the things of God cannot share authority with the things of the world. The things of God do not do not share authority. Okay, and we know that Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, right? And his authority is demonstrated through the love of the kingdom, right? The, the love which is the essence, right? The foundation of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that one day will uh, be... Uh, will envelop this earth and the universe. Um, I think it probably already envelops the whole universe and maybe not just here, but I don't know. That's a good question. I have no idea. Uh, but this this authority uh, has its its power in love, not in violence. And this is a foundational difference. So when Christians join in politics, they are condoning, in some sense, that the world operates in violence, and that violence is, is necessarily anti-Christ. And so the very premise of Christians being involved in politics is like oil and water, right? It's, it's completely antithetical because the foundation of political power is violence. It's, it's physical strength. And the foundation of the kingdom of God is love, acceptance, forgiveness, uh, family, right? Um, it's it is different at its foundation, and you you can't you can't get away from that, right? And so, what the so so called Christian right or the 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 righteous what are they called righteous majority or what do they call them? I can't remember. Um, it's it's a complete misnomer, right? It is. It makes no sense for people who believe that Christ is Lord and that His way is the way. It makes no sense for them to participate in worldly government. And you know, the church used to know this. church knew this at one point, uh, all the way up until the third century, Christians understood that they, that they even though they lived in countries, uh, and they, um, they operated uh, under the authority of these leaders, um, 
sometimes were killed because of their authority. They understood that they shouldn't fight, that they shouldn't join the armies, that they that they shouldn't uh, be violent in any way. They understood that the way of Christ was nonviolence. The church understood this. And then along comes Constantine, uh, sometime in the fourth century, and his mother is Christian on some level, and Christianity has been spreading. Uh, even though it's been oppressed, uh, it's been spreading in the empire. And Constantine makes a strategical decision. He decides that Christianity is no longer going to be outlawed, that it's going to be a legal religion, uh, maybe because he understood it to be nonviolent and, and therefore not a threat, right? Uh, and not only that, he was going to co-opt its symbology uh, as his good luck charm in battle. And so he started painting crosses on his army. Uh, his army uh, bore the, I, I believe, a red cross on its shields, uh, which eventually, I think, became the, the, the symbol of the Knights Templar. I think uh, that that's an outgrowth of this. And and he, he kind of inserted himself into the church because he made it legal he was able to woo the leaders of Christianity at the time to allow him to have some uh, some part in Christianity and so he was involved in decision making he was he was present at the creation of, of the uh, Bible at the I believe the Council of Nicaea I believe he was there it could be a different council after have to review my history. Uh, and so he he oversaw the legalization of Christianity. Not only that, he, he gave Christianity many of the basilicas that were places of worship to the Roman gods. He bequeathed to the church and the church began to operate under the power of the emperor and somewhat the emperor's mother. And suddenly they were legitimized. They were given property. They were uh, then organizing and all kinds of things were happening. Uh, and overnight the church went from organic movement of Christ to a quasi-Christian organization uh, that is now in bed with the Roman Empire. This was Constantine. Uh, and, and so, I mean, need I say more? Uh, but I'm still, I'm sure that this is, this is why a lot of Christians decided to go to the desert during this time. They could see that things were not going right, that, that things were not going in the correct direction. And so you have many Christians who abandoned um, the cities and went into the desert to find to find Christ again. Things were too distracting. Um, things were going far away from. And so I think the desert fathers, <clears throat> the monks uh, who went to the monasteries, I think they, in the beginning, were a genuine reaction to this 
bastardization of the way of Christ. Um, they knew something had gone awry, and so they were they had to get it get away. They had to get away from the centers of the church slash slash empire authorities, uh, and and so they were driven into the desert. And I believe this happened in the uh, maybe fourth and fifth centuries is where it started maybe sixth century uh, and then along comes Augustine and Augustine was an early church leader and writer theologian if you will and he's known as Saint Augustine he came along and created the theology that basically legitimized this unholy wedding of of church and empire and so he came along and he legitimized the theology that would make this okay he justified it by saying that there is a such a thing as just war for example because again violence aka war or the threat of war is the power of political entities uh, especially if you're an empire that's what you do you conquer other lands so Augustine comes along, and as a church leader, he creates the theology. He uses the Bible in such a way that he's able to manipulate it into uh, uh, condoning holy war or or killing on the basis basis of of religion, right? AKA Christianity. Uh, and then from there, it was just, we've been downhill ever since. And even though Luther and Calvin uh, eventually broke off and, and created the Reformation, they neglected to recapture the nonviolent way of Jesus. Uh, and not until probably the Anabaptists, uh, the Anabaptists and possibly the Moravians were Anabaptists, I'm not sure. There were other groups that came along uh, who were like, hold on, hold on. You know, this, this is, something's gone wrong here. This is not the way of Christ. They were able to, for whatever reason, read their Bibles in such a way uh, that they were able to rediscover the nonviolent ways of Jesus. Uh, and this this is where we get the Anabaptists and the Quakers and probably several other groups as well. Um, and so today, yes, there are some who have found the nonviolent Jesus, and I would I would say have found Jesus because I don't think if you discover the that Jesus was anti-violence, I don't think you could say you've discovered Jesus in any real way. Um, <clears throat> that's how antithetical, I think, violence is to the way of Jesus. Um, but we all start there, I suppose. You know, I think the world is, violence is such a a common thing in this world that I think we all start with the idea um, that violence is, is okay in certain situations, right? And people always bring up, you know, what if somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night, you know, uh, are you going to just sit there and let your family be killed, blah, blah, blah. 
And there are a lot of hypotheticals where I could see myself becoming violent, even though uh, I, I am against it on principle. But I, I'm, I've been programmed, you know. We, if you grew up in, in America or pretty much anywhere in the world, you're programmed to, to learn about violence and to somewhat glorify it. You know, we have violent games. And we watch violent television shows and, and we make violent art. And, you know, there are all kinds of ways that violence has seeped into our society. Um, we enjoy... I mean, could you imagine watching movies without violence? Now, a lot of comedies are more or less devoid of violence, though it does come up from time to time. Especially in the Three Stooges, their comedy was violent. Uh, but yeah, so we, we have glorified violence, and violence is, is very much a part of who I am, unfortunately. It's the way I've been programmed and it's very difficult to overcome that programming especially at my age and I I suppose I, I I think I've known probably for 30 or more years that violence is a is a poor way to be in the world for the Christian I think that's something that I, I've known for quite a while and, and I had a father who didn't believe that Christians should be involved in killing in war he he was very anti-violence, which is a, a blessing. Uh, that may be the one thing that he gave me uh, that I believe is the most like Christ. Uh, there's a lot of things I think my dad believes that are off off base. I'll just say that. But uh, he did. Um, he did raise me that way. Uh, and I'm appreciate my dad for that. Thanks, Pop. Uh, yeah, so... So I guess... Here's the thing. Governments eventually become corrupt. They, they become to be blatantly against their own citizens. And at some point, people are going to rise up against this government and want to overthrow it. Uh, this has happened over and over again. This happened with every empire, every, every empire that's ever been in existence. Now, some of the empires have withstood and have survived, even though they've lost much of their territories. Uh, you know, Rome is still a city. It's, it's a part of a country called Italy now. Um, uh, it's no longer the Roman Empire. They don't even speak the same language anymore. Um, but whatever. I, I think the Roman Empire actually exists now in Roman Catholicism. I think that's where it has survived. Uh, it morphed uh, and now wears somewhat of a disguise uh, purporting to be the church uh, but actually being the Roman Empire in disguise in a lot of ways. And I am thankful that the, the Catholic Church has, by and large, become a nonviolent entity. Uh, I, I, think, I think the Roman Catholic Church is being transformed slowly. Uh, 
at least it appears to be right now, whether it will endure and be completely transformed back into um, the way of Christ uh, remains to be seen. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I also know that evangelicalism has the same problem uh, as does Pentecostalism and, and you know, fundamentalism and all these isms, all these uh, 30 or 40,000 different um, denominations, they all have the same problem. They are, they are all struggling to live the way of Christ by being influenced by the world, and, and some are more successful than others. But, but this is the battle, right? This is the battle. Who, who's going to be our Lord, the Lord of the earth or the Lord of heaven? Uh, and until the Lord of heaven is Lord of the earth, I think this is going to be our constant struggle. So I, I, yeah, I, I feel sorry for this um, journalist who was killed in Russia. And I do appreciate that he stood up against the Russian government, probably knowing what could happen to him. And he, he told the truth nonetheless, assuming that he told the truth. Um, and I can appreciate that kind of um, resistance. That's nonviolent resistance, right? That, that is standing up to the world and saying, you need to do better. You need to stop mistreating people. And then he gave up his life for what he said. I mean, that's what it seems right now. That's the story that's come out. That's what Martin Luther King did, right? He stood up to power for a number of years, and eventually he was assassinated because those in power were threatened by his, his message, and the only way to stop him was through violence. And an amazing amount of good was done because Martin Luther King did not engage in violence. He allowed violence to to tell everybody how wrong violence is you know obviously for somebody who who does not believe violence is the way to solve the world's problems to be killed by violence therefore proving what he said um, yeah I think to me this shows that God uses violence to fight against violence. And I don't mean God makes violence happen. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe God is ever violent. I don't believe God has ever uh, taken a life. I don't believe it. So, so, so shoot me. But I think God takes our violence and uses it for good. I think that's what happened at the cross think that that's what happened with Martin Luther King and all martyrs. I'm not putting Martin Luther King on the level of Jesus, obviously. Um, but I think that's the, you know, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about that, no, God is not violent. He does not use violence to solve his problems. Uh, but God will use the violence that we perpetrate.
to solve the world's problems. Yeah. I think that's true. Man, it's gotten windy again. I don't like this wind. Well, I am here. I'm kind of early. Huh. Yes, I did not meet with much resistance all the way here. The way of Christ is nonviolent. Uh, if you if you believe that there are circumstances where violence is necessary and okay, and you also believe that that Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior, um, you you have a problem. That's called cognitive dissonance. Uh, your own thoughts are at war with one another. And your brain will do amazing acrobatics to somehow um, allow these two thoughts to coincide with one another. I think that's what Augustine did. And many people since Augustine. Uh, we will go to amazing lengths to justify violence. But but at the end of the day, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus says, love your enemies. I don't know how you can love them while killing them. I just don't know. Um, all right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I appreciate you. And uh, I'll try to get this podcast up. ASAP. Bye-bye.